Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 7 of series 2 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Big shout out to Vintry Harbour Asset Management and the Shire Baron Cafe in Killarney for the continued support. We really appreciate it guys, thank you. This week we're delighted to be joined by former Leeds J and Port Leeds star Colin Woolley Parkinson. The former host of the dedicated Gaelic football and hurling show, the GAR, has launched his own podcast, Smaller Fish. Woolley is easily one of the most entertaining Irish tweeters and he pulls no punches, especially on matters GA. We have a lot to cover, so let's bring him on. So hi Colm, thanks for taking time out to come on Inside View Podcast. I appreciate it. How are you keeping? Not too bad, Jamie. How are you? Good, good. Just trying to get through this uh this difficult period. Um it's been True. difficult, you know, it's been difficult the last couple of months. But how have you found it, I suppose, you know, in a personal and uh professional capacity? Um, I found I'm a little bit more optimistic now. I found the full lockdowns absolutely awful, dreadful. Um kind of understood the initial one in March a little bit, you know, the two weeks to flatten the curve, let's all, you know, do our little bit. And then it started stretching out and stretching out. And, you know, we, we kind of opened up then in the summer and then all of a sudden there's another full lockdown. And, you know, it just seems like this can't be the answer, you know, like, I mean, um, that's kind of the way I was. So that really frustrated me. And then the kind of, half opened up last Christmas and then January was dreadful everything closed police on the roads you know a swimmer in Port Marnock was getting pulled out of the water because he was outside his 5k all that stuff really pissed me off like I mean it's it's uh you know way way over the top as far as I would be concerned so you know you know that kind of that period I think that January after that Christmas that was probably the most difficult yeah, especially with the you know the long evenings make it worse and the the dullness and the rain. Yeah, it's raining outside. I have two young children. The creches weren't even open. You know, I wasn't busy in work. You know, we were all on top of each other in the house. It was just. Uh, I remember thinking, God Almighty, this is absolutely you know. Then I then of course I'd be venting on Twitter and I'd be taking a lot of abuse on that. And then you know what I mean. There's just uh, there's just nothing to do and nothing to keep yourself busy with. So it was it was hard. And, uh, you know, in, in relation to working remotely and recording podcasts remotely, how do you find that? Um, not too bad. I suppose when, when we were working remotely, the great thing about working remotely is it can all be done online. You know, obviously the best situation is in a studio, but working remotely showed me, you know, that it's, it's you know, you're able to do it remotely and you're able to talk to people online and there's, there's websites there that have really good audio quality and, Probably without doing the lockdown, I would never have tried to do it on my own because studio studio costs are massive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm nervous as it is now without really, you know, doing it from my own house, getting enough kind of, uh, you know, traction on it. But I think throwing the extra cost of studios and stuff like that would probably, I probably wouldn't have done it. So that's one positive, I suppose, we can take out of the lockdown that these things can be done. 
Um, you can get video out of it. You're doing your own show yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you over in, in Dubai? Mean, I, yeah, I'm in Dubai at the moment, but I was, I was at home. Yeah, I was at home the last year or so doing the podcast. It's yeah, it can be done remotely. It's it's um obviously the quality wouldn't be as good as if you're in the you know the studio, but it's still it's still relatively good. Yeah, you can still do it. So look, that's one good thing that has come out of the lockdown, I suppose. And even like you, you never would have dreamed you'd be able to do the show from Dubai, you know, probably <laughs> before that whole lockdown. Like, I mean, you know. I could potentially move. To, I always thought my partner's from Spain. So you, my children's grandparents live in Spain. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like that'll, that'll never happen with my job. And who's to know in 10 years time that I couldn't, you know, do shows from Spain, you know, or come back to Ireland for a while. You know, it, it opens an awful lot more um, opportunities for you. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And it's very easily done. Just two mics and, and off you go. You know, once, it, you have yeah. a, once you have a... Um, uh, a laptop um, just out of curiosity where did you get the name Woolly from was that a childhood uh, yeah I wish there was a story behind it but there's not really uh, Jamie it's uh, just one of the fellas on the road came back one day from school and he just says we're calling you Woolly and I think <laughs> I, was, I must have been maybe five or six and then everyone on my road to be like seven or eight houses on my road about a mile outside the town in Port Leash and they all called me Woolly for, for two or three years and then friends from school started coming out for birthdays and stuff and then they picked up Wooly you know and then they brought that back into school and then that's it I'm just known as Wooly you know like nobody really calls me Colin outside of my family um poor Mannix my son is guaranteed to be called Wooly he's got no choice in the matter that's what happens (laughs) the children get called the same nickname so who knows how many generations this might last for (laughs) um it just sort of curiosity as well because look we know you're you're vocal on online and to be honest what you're saying is what a lot of people are thinking um what's the abuse like has it ever went over the line uh look of course it does go over the line but like I mean I'd have a very thick skin um, I was probably most vulnerable, like in that lockdown, because I, w- I, w- I would have been, I wasn't, I wasn't happy myself. And then you're getting that kind of, you know, shit, you're venting online and then you're getting all that. And then you're getting a little bit obsessed with your phone and you're on it too much. And then like Itzy could be talking to me and I'm not really listening to her and paying more attention to the phone. And it's toxic. It's terrible, you know. So like, I mean, I try my best to and I do for the most part is ignore the the kind of abuse it doesn't it doesn't bother me because it, I've I've been like this all my life and when I was playing football it's been, even in even in Port Leash like every other club didn't like me because I would have been you know I would have been a bit of a mouth on the field or you know whatever and I'm kind of used to it I'm completely comfortable with the fact that there are loads and loads of people out there that hate me they hate me like I was just shown this morning that I've got the new show now on on Apple Podcasts and someone has given it a, a one out of five review saying that I'm a dimwit. Like that takes a certain type of person, you know, to do something like that. But I've accepted it. It's no problem. There's lots of people that like me and like my shows and stuff as well. So I, I've, I, I've accepted it. I'm, I've no problem. I think it's easier being myself, not caring that people hate me. If you're universally liked, you have to watch what you say all the time to not piss people off. The people who like me like, what I'm like and the people hate me hate me for that and there's no changing that so I'm better off just I, I can be myself all the time true true that's a very good way of putting it actually in fairness um that's that's ridiculous the way you got one one old five and said, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no have, episode no there's no episode yet I haven't even done a show so god help me when uh when I start doing shows I might get loads more of them 
and is are you going down the route? I know smaller fish obviously probably kind of relates to the club scene, or would I be wrong to assume that? Smaller fish at Luxor, sure. that's what David Fitzgerald said in 2013. It's the underdog, I suppose. And like I mean, I'm on my own, I'm doing my own thing. So I suppose I am the underdog. We are the smaller fish, like I mean, we're going up against um big media uh, companies with huge social media reaches and stuff. So I don't know. I I played that sting on my la- on the GER for for five years and I really like it I like what the way Davy was thinking and I just thought oh god I, I was throwing around it's hard to think of names so many NAF uh, GA name names like you know the sideline kick or the you know the throw-in you know something that happens in or the 45 and I was like I don't want to do that I don't want to call it Woolies GA show because that's NAF as well and then I don't know. It just kind of it came to me one day. Um, why not call it the smaller fish? And I think it's it's I think it's a good name. Um, I think people remember it, and I think it has. Uh, you know, it describes the show pretty well. Definitely, no, hundred percent. And that that snippet from uh, Davy, you know, that you had in the GAR was brilliant as well. So, yeah. definitely, you know, looking forward to to hearing the so. guests. Um, do you know with restrictions? Obviously, you know. Hopefully we're we're coming out of it now. Some, but I know it, it it is quite bad. But it's probably not as bad as it was this time last year. Um, how do you think the G gated games in general will come out of the pandemic when we look back in it in years to come? Well, I think it's vital to start getting crowds back in this year. Like they have huge payrolls in there, you know, and like I mean, they've been pretty much decimated the last two years, and all that money that the filters down to clubs has been gone has dried up. Um. You know they need they need these restrictions to be lifted on on attendances. They're outdoors. You should be full attendances, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, without going too much into the the pandemic, I try to keep that out of my GA show as much as possible because, like, people are right that you're not an expert, but I like to read experts and see what people are saying. And we know that outdoor transmission is one in a thousand. So, like, I mean, we know Omicron is very very mild. So how there can't be full houses at GA uh, grounds this year would make no it would make no logical sense to me. And you like to break things down logically. And w- with a lot of this stuff, there doesn't seem to be any logic. When you try to apply logic to it, there doesn't seem to be any. It seems to be where did this come from? What what is the point of this? And how does this make sense? And most of the time, I'm I'm thinking I'm it doesn't make any sense. You don't need to be an expert to know that this makes no sense. So hopefully they lift the restrictions on the GA matches and we'll get back to we'll get back to normal. Another big worry is that uh, the close contact situation needs to be lifted as well because we can't have a situation where like five healthy, strong, fit 25-year-olds are sitting at home just because another strong, fit 27-year-old tests positive and he's not even sick. There's, there's seven of your players gone. The person who tests positive isn't even sick. Yet he might have a sore throat. He's well, well able to play, and five of his friends are sitting at home because they're close contacts. That, at this point of the whole thing, that makes absolutely no sense, and it will ruin the GA season. You know, unless they unless they change that. Um, that's not a GA decision. You know, like I mean, the 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 NFL and things need to change that themselves. But that's going to have a. We see it in the soccer in England. It's having a huge impact. Like imagine, imagine missing out on a match because you're a close contact of someone that's not even sick and you're not sick. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, again, you're trying to bring logic into this and there is not. No, no, there's not. And it's the same with the rugby as well. It's affecting the rugby, the rugby season as well at the moment. 
Um, you know, I suppose I'd like to ask you what's your feeling on Dal Ireland this year. But again, look, you never know with COVID. It could rule a few players out for Limerick or, or you know, for Tyrone. And it could cause How issues. Tyrone, Tyrone will have a trick up their sleeve. They yeah. won't affect them. <laughs> They'll come back even fitter. It doesn't matter with Tyrone. But yeah, look, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, it's obviously between Dublin, Tyrone, Kerry. Um, I'd say it's between the three of them myself. And then you've got, you know, you've got Mayo, you've got Donegal, um, probably sitting in the next little group, I suppose, and Monaghan maybe. And what's your feeling on Kerry? Because I know last year you were saying on the show that, you know, that we've, we needed um, we needed a change in management, which we're after getting. Do you think Jack O'Connor is good or are we going back to all the ways? Hard to know. Like, I mean, Paddy Talley is the most interesting kind of aspect of that. I'd be interested to see how, you know, what he brings to it. He's known as a defensive manager. But he, or a defensive coach, but he coached down in 2010 when they beat Kerry in the All-Ireland quarterfinal and down played a lovely round of football then. So it'll be very interesting to see how he approaches and how Kerry approach, approach it tactically. I suppose it, the funny thing about Kerry is they lost a, an All-Ireland final replay. They were brilliant the first day, brilliant in the first half the second day. Then they had that nightmare against Cork and they were beaten after extra time by the All-Ireland champions this year. So like, I mean, you know, they don't need much change. You know, mm. like, I mean, they don't need much. They're just almost there. So I think Jack O'Connor can, absolutely can get them over the line. Hopefully, hopefully. We're, we're waiting <laughs> need of something, innit? Um, I have a few things to, to ask you, but one thing I'd love to get an insight in, because I've spoken to a few guys who would have played with you or, or who would have been in around the, the team with you, which Lee IT. What was your, t- your time like down there? Oh, well, listen, Shirley, which Shirley was going down to Shirley was like a holiday <laughs> for me. Like, I mean... I had dropped, Tralee was my, Tralee was my third college to go to. And I had dropped out of, I went to Waterford first, then I went to DIT and I had dropped out of DIT um, the week of the exams. We had lost the under 21 All-Ireland final on the Saturday against Kerry, a brilliant Kerry team. And my exams, all I was dreaming about was playing with Leash and with the under 21s and All-Ireland final. I hadn't been studying at all that year. And after the final, I, I just decided I'm not going into those exams. I'm not prepared for them. I haven't done anything and I'm not going in. So I went a bit AWOL. I went AWOL after the All-Ireland final. So after DIT then, it was too late. I hadn't applied for the following year. And then um, Tralee, Val Andrews rang me and asked me to go down there. And I was doing advanced tourism um, down there. It was a, I had government funding. I was getting like... If I went in, I was getting like 80 euros a week, which would have, you know, paid me fairly well. But I ended up getting deregistered because I never went in. Oh, um, they were paying my rent. So what Shalee did was they appealed the deregistration. All I was going doing was visiting friends' apartments and hanging around and going to the pool and going drinking. And it was basically like a four-month holiday. And training, obviously, because they were taking the Sigerson very seriously. And that's why I was down there. But, uh, yeah, they appealed the deregistration. Um, and the appeal process went until after the Sigerson weekend and then they dropped the appeal and I was out. <laughs> so after the Sigerson weekend, that was the end of my college in Tralee and my advanced tourism dream. But um, I, I, I asked one guy and he was like, Colm was like a calf but let out in a big field of grass when he came to Kerry. <laughs> Mad off, he said. Uh, another fella said they took the West Kerry guys to toughen them up. But <laughs> <laughs> well, like I mean, you, you well, you would think I was from a little village here in in Leash. I'm from Port Leash. It's not that much smaller than than Tralee, and Tralee would have been was my third college. So I don't know about the first one, but the second one, absolutely. One thing is, you know, going down to Tralee, like 
I wouldn't say it was a football education because I was a good footballer at the time, but I just, I loved like Jack Ferreter, Noel Canelli, Pau Sullivan, all these fellas. I loved their attitude to football. Like, I mean, they were highly, highly skillful, you know, they, they had a, a confidence, not, I wouldn't call it an arrogance. It was, it was, it was a comp, it was a very, uh, it's not even an overconfidence, very, very, very confident in their ability and weren't, you know, weren't shy about saying, you know, I don't know, really know how to explain it, but it kind of, I, I don't know, I, I thought I fit in pretty well down there because that's kind of, that was my attitude back down there. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a good footballer. Like, I mean, I know that I'm a good footballer and, you know, it was it was uh, it was really good football conversations. Watching them playing, Porrick Joyce was down there. Jim McGuinness was down there. Like I mean, I, I had a great time. I really did. It was fantastic, and we won the Sigerson Cup too. So, like I mean, it it wasn't a planned uh, year in college, but it worked out fairly well. Yeah, it was actually remarkable. They won three in a row, so you'd have been there for the third year, was it? Third one there I was there for, yeah. I think the second year they won it was their best team. Uh, Donnellan was there that year with all the ones I've named out. And Seamus Moynihan was there. Mike Frank Russell was there. A lot of those lads had gone. It was actually in the third year, would you believe, it was a bit of a surprise that we won it because a lot of those huge star names had, uh, Barry O'Shea had dropped off it as well. A good few, they'd lost a good few from the second year. So it was a bit of an achievement to have won it the third year. Yeah, I, I, uh, I heard the celebrations around Tralee that time was, uh, was, was very good. Yeah, well, it was funny. We were driving home from Derry um, after winning the Sigerson Cup and Jim McGuinness got really, really sick. And uh, he, was, he was puking on the bus and me and him actually got dropped off in my house in Port Leash. And he just got onto the couch. My mother was looking after him in my house. And the next day he felt grand and we got the bus down to Tralee then. And, uh, well, we had a few, two or three good days after that then. But the initial, I think we were home on the Monday night. The Monday night, we, me and Jim spent in Port Leash. It was the Tuesday morning we got, or the Tuesday around lunchtime, we got back down to Chile. Jesus, no, it must have been uh, some great times. Um, look, I, I've spoken to a lot of people that would have retired from football or retired from sports or, you know, forced to retire due, due to concussion, whatever the case may be. Um, and I just asked them about the loss of identity. So you were no longer, I would say, Colin Parkinson, the leash footballer. Do you find that difficult when you went out, you know, when that identity was taken away or when that identity finished? Yeah, you know I, I don't mean. know. I don't know. I think I people talk about this a bit too much. Depends how deep you are. I never overthought it. I never thought about myself as being Colin Parkinson, the footballer. And I never saw anything wrong with being known as Colin Parkinson, the footballer. Like, I mean, it's not like I was known for anything else. It's better be Colin Parkinson, the footballer, than Par Colin Parkinson, the nothing. Like, I was working in finance. I, I, I wouldn't have said I was successful in any way professionally. I wouldn't have been known for anything, of being good at anything. And I think sometimes players use the fact that they're brilliant at football and they're known for that. And sometimes they twist it like this is some sort of bad thing. What's wrong with that? You know, like, I mean, that's different maybe for Jack McCaffrey, who's a doctor and maybe he wants to be, you know, identified, you know, identified as, oh, he's successful as well. But a lot of lads aren't. And they're more than proud that being an intercounty footballer is the big achievement in their life. And what's the big deal about it? You know, be proud of that. Own that. Um, then when you come out of it, maybe if you're if you become too obsessed with it, they are the people that don't have something, you know, they have no identity then when that's gone. But I suppose people who are comfortable with themselves, um, you know, and are maybe don't focus too much. And I, I, I do think that players are getting wiser now that when I was playing, I, I didn't care what job I had. 
once I was playing GEA and once I was doing that, that's what I loved. I didn't care about what I was doing professionally. Um, and then when I came out of it, I suppose I did have nothing. Um, and then I had to start focusing on, you know, what do you like? And I'm going through that whole kind of process that you go through at 18. You know, when I came out at 32 or 33, almost like I needed to go to a, a career guidance counselor or something and go, look, you don't like it. Because when you come out of, when your passion is over and you've neglected the rest of your, you know, life, you know, pretty much your professional life. Well, then I was more struggling. I didn't care about my identity. I give I, I, that stuff. I'm just not deep enough for that stuff. I don't want to overthink that stuff. My identity. I don't care about that stuff. But I did care about the fact that that passion was gone. Now I'm left kind of, you know, with a job I don't really like. And I did definitely, I, I, I definitely focused not on my identity, but what the hell am I going to do? That's fair enough. That's actually, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And yeah, it, it's, uh, I said that could, that was definitely happening to players before, but maybe they're more, more aware of, of things now going forward. Um, I think they are. I think, I think the young players now are always, and managers are very good. And to be fair, the GP are very good on that and go, look, this is, this is a 10 year thing. Don't get too obsessed with it. And that's the advice I would give loads of players. Focus on what the rest of your life is going to be like, what your job is, you know, what, you know, what's, do you have any other passions? Cause when you put your all, all your eggs into one basket, when that goes, you know, you're kind of, you're left kind of in no man's land. And just to add on to that, you know, those who would listen to the JR would have been aware that, you know, you, you have been quite open about coming on and off panels and, and, uh, and stuff like that. If you could go back, would you change anything or what would you give, like, would you give advice to players in similar situations? I look, there's a couple of things I probably would have changed, but that's hindsight. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So for example, one of the big things I would change, uh, we won the Leinster club title in 2004 and there was a 12 week break before the all Ireland semi-final. And I went traveling to Southeast Asia for seven of them or seven and a half of them. And I'm very good at, at convincing myself that this will be okay. Seven and a half weeks. I'll train out there. When I come back, I'll train. And as it turns out, when I came back, I tweaked my hamstring. I couldn't get that work in that that I that I wanted. So my plan, and nobody could tell me, you know, I I knew, you know, better, and I'm this will be fine. Um, so when I came back, I wasn't the same player at all. So that that's a big regret of mine. Um, there's no doubt about that. I should have waited. Um, I should have seen out the twelve weeks um, at home with the team. That's a big big regret for me. The other kind of semi-regret then is the following year after that All-Ireland Club final I went back travelling again to Australia and I was due to be Leash captain and Leash were beaten by Dublin in the Leinster final by a pint now I'd probably been worth more than a pint to Leash but who knows because the way you like the reason that's kind of hindsight is that Leash could have been beaten in the first round against Offaly Ross Munley scored a last minute goal and if I was playing maybe I would have missed that goal and we would have been out and I would have been I would have been saying why the hell didn't I you know didn't I go traveling so I think the club one the club one is the big one the big regret I have uh, anything else look you can't regret these things because my personality is just like you know I'm I'm a little bit uh, I wouldn't say overly confrontational but I speak my mind and definitely when you speak your mind you end you, you tend to have conflict with uh, managers and you know I my attitude was always if you're not enjoying it just leave it why stay somewhere where you're you know the relationship is gone and like if I had it all over again I'm sure a lot of those same conflicts would happen because I just I don't think I can help that 
Can you shed some light? Because I, I, I have you know, done my research and listened to, listen to podcasts you've done and, and etc. But just some research on the comment about uh, Mikko Dwyer calling him a bluffer. Was that kind of blown out of proportion, out of, out of context? I think it was. I think it was. Like, I mean, th- that was my first ever time on on national radio, I'm fairly sure. It was on like a Saturday panel on, on News Talk. And this was at the very end of that interview. And like or that and I was given the topics. There was no there was nothing in it that was anything to do with Mick O'Dwyer or anything. And just towards the end, because I think Mick was with Wicklow, Bernard Jackman is from Wicklow and he brought it up. And I just made the comment, you know, that Mick, Mick was a bluffer. That's a word I use a bluffer. Um, everybody knows Miko wasn't tactical at all. Um, Miko didn't even believe in strength and conditioning. Um, Miko was a brilliant man manager and he was a brilliant manager, I think, up until maybe 2002. Still a brilliant manager, but he didn't embrace the way the game had changed. And Armagh had probably changed the game with the strength and conditioning, nutrition, sports psychology, all those things. Miko didn't really want to change with that. And I think just the four years he was with us, coincided with huge massive changes in preparation and you know in in tactics as well and I think I don't think we embraced them now I know when he was with Wicklow he had embraced them all it just took him a while you know to go this is what this is how the game is played then so I suppose all that kind of stuff and some of the frustrations I would have had on a personal level with him but I had some great uh, I had a great relationship with Mikko half the time half of the four years and the other half I had a terrible relationship with us so, like I mean you know I the bluffer thing was just like it got it got more traction really than it, it deserved because in the interview I was never asked to elaborate really on that at all you know so it was like that was my introduction to media you know criticize calling pretty much a national treasure a bluffer so like I mean there's your half people hate me straight, hating me straight away <laughs> um Again, I, I know you shed light, you know, you did shed some light on this before, but that Eddie Brennan incident, um, where I, you know, a few people asked me to, to run it by you, everything's okay there with, with Eddie, and it was just um, a complete accident, wasn't it? Or, or what, what was, what well, happened exactly? Well, it was an absolute accident. Like, that's professionally, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I mean, it was absolutely dreadful. And I've never taken the type of abuse um, that I did for that. But, like, I mean, this was a mistake. And, you know, the fella who's supposed to be editing the show and I have to hold my hands up because I should have double checked it. But I remember we were in the middle of a lockdown and like my excuse for it is like the fella who was doing the editing for me, we discussed it. You know, we said, I said, cut that off at the, at the, at the goodbye. And he's done this hundreds of times for me. Cause I often chat off the record with, play, with players afterwards and you could mm-hmm. chat to them for two or three minutes and he never, ever got it wrong before. And I used to check it. And then at the point, I almost thought it was an insult to him to be double checking these things because they're such obvious edits and he can do it. So by the time we got to Eddie, I, I kind of had stopped. I had stopped checking really obvious edits. I would check edits that maybe were within, you know, one that needed to be checked, if you know what I mean. I would have thought, thought that was such an obvious edit where we said goodbye and whatever. So I didn't check it. Um, I trusted him that that would have been done. So I hold my hands up. I, it's my fault that I didn't check it because I would have see, picked up on it straight away. He missed it because he said he stopped listening briefly. And uh, when I said stop it or cut it off at the goodbye, he had heard the second goodbye instead of the first goodbye. And that was that's where the mistake happened. So within, before an hour, uh, someone on Twitter had given me the heads up on it and we took it down immediately. Uh, but had been listened to a thousand times at that stage, um, two thousand, 
and that was enough for somebody to record it mm. and stick it out on the WhatsApp. And by the time it went out on the WhatsApp, that's it. All bets are off at that stage. So, like, I mean, when I found out the mistake, I rang Eddie straight away. And it was, Jesus, it was a terrible phone call to have to make because neither me nor him could fully remember what we had said. And to be honest with you, with the conversations we had, we were imagining the conversation probably a little bit worse than what it ended up being. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't ideal. But Jesus, that conversation could have been an awful lot worse with private conversations that I have, you know, and thank God nothing was said that could never be taken back. You know, it it was pretty harmless, really. It was very, very embarrassing and a terrible mistake. But the way I'm looking at it now and the way I think the way Eddie looks at it, um, too, is that it could have been, Jesus, it could, it could have been career enders for both of us. Mm, no, definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, the, you, you, you touched on before the abuse and all that was, was outrageous online. Um, but look, yeah, you, you, it's, it was, look, thankfully it wasn't, you know, it could have been much worse. And thankfully, you know, um, there's no bad blood there. Good relationships, all good, is it? Yeah, me and Eddie are absolutely fine. He texted me recently wishing me the best of luck with the show and everything. Eddie's a total gentleman. And like, I actually, it'll tell you the difference between me and Eddie. Eddie didn't give out to me. Eddie would, oh, for fuck's sake, it was more like, oh, for fuck's sake, Wooly. But he was he didn't, he didn't kind of give out to me. Whereas the fella who made the mistake in work, I, I absolutely lynched him. You know, like, I mean, that's just, Eddie's a gentleman. Maybe I'm not a gentleman, but I, I, I vented on the other, but not for too long. I kind of went, Jesus, I was more, I was sick to my stomach, if I'm being honest about what, what happened. And the fact that Eddie was the leash manager and like, I mean, Jesus, after doing such a good job and I put his job into a terrible position, uh, it was, it was, uh, look, if it was from a different county, it wouldn't have hit me as hard. It was just a complete disaster. Um, yeah, but me and Eddie, Eddie are fine. Eddie's a, a, a real sound fella. And uh, thankfully, he's that way for me. <laughs> good, good, good. And um, why did you, you know, decide to move on from the GA or because, you know, it was, you know, it was definitely the, the top podcast for the GA community in Ireland. Yeah, I, look, I suppose I, I would have ambitions, I suppose, of going to another level with things and um I, I was with off the ball and people told me that's a great job too i was in finance and doing all well not great but not too bad and my, i remember my father saying what are you going back to college for don't be silly and then i went back to college and did a journalism masters and started in off the ball and i was told are you crazy leaving off the ball for sports joe like what kind of a you know what a a, a really respected brand for a clickbait or whatever people were saying and they told me i was crazy and that worked out okay as well and I spent five and a half years there. I've learned the ropes. I know how to do it. Like, I mean, I was a one-man team on the on the editorial side. Like, I had technical staff helping me. But, like, I mean, my my opinion was I may, I'm, I'm pretty much doing my own show, but it's not my own show, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then kind of, I suppose, ambitions maybe to have my own show that's mine and it's not anybody else's. I'm not working for anyone else. I can do this on my own. I've done it on my own for five and a half years. So I was started to think it was kind of a little itch that I kept thinking about. Why don't you just do it on your own? And I suppose I just kind of that's what I've that's what I've just done. Are you doing everything now? Like, do you have a team? Do you have one or two guys helping you? Or are you doing the whole the whole thing yourself? At the moment, I'm doing it by myself. Um, like I said, I've learned an awful lot uh, down through the years, and I did work in news talk, so I can do radio editing. A lot of people that say you can't do radio editing, look at the, look at the Eddie Brennan, <laughs> thing. Yeah, but, look. but I can I can do I can do I can edit, 
Um, I've, I've done a crash course in video editing, so I'll be sticking out some promo videos as well. I can do them now uh, too. So I can do it all on my own. And my, my, uh, my missus, Itzy, is a graphic designer, so she can do a lot of the stuff as well. So that's our team at the moment. It's a, it's a family-run family business. And uh, hope, look, it's going to be an awful lot of work, but hopefully if it's, you know, if, it, if, it, if it's a success, well, then I'll be, be able to um, afford to get some help, you know, but at the moment uh, we'll plow on just the two of us. Brilliant, brilliant. And is it, is it going to be GA-based or are you going to branch out to other sports? Well, it's GA at the moment. Like, I mean, you know, at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm offering at least 16 shows a month in club season. That'll, that'll uh, number will drop. So I'll definitely have some scope then to maybe do a general sports podcast, you know, maybe a politics podcast. Who knows? Like, I mean, at the moment, I'm not really thinking that far ahead. I want to just get the G. Like, I mean, the, the my my last show, the GR, was success because of GEA. So I don't want to start, and I'm on my own. And like, I've I'm I would be seen as having, you know, in inverted commas, an expert view on GEA, whereas you know, researching the other sports where I wouldn't be as much on top of would probably be a lot more time consuming. Like some, you know, so at the moment I'm, I'm more than happy just to stick with GA. But I'm definitely thinking of branching out though, Jamie, because like, I mean, that lockdown and the GA being closed down has definitely scared me a little bit to think that shit, that's what's making me think of even doing a politics podcast because there's always politics, you know? And like if the GA is gone, say if another lockdown in the future, you know, that's the most important thing in the country at that time. So to have an established kind of politics podcast, not for me, I'd be just presenting, you know, I would have one or two experts like I do, you know, on the hurling show or whatever like that, where I'm, I'm not, I'm not really into politics, but I think I could ask questions that maybe people out there would want, uh, you know, would want answered. And I think that's what, uh, I think maybe that's something that people like listening to. Brilliant, brilliant. No, looking forward to, to listening to those. Um, you know, it reminds me of home you're listening to the JR and I'm looking forward to, to listening to your upcoming podcast. Before I leave you, uh, Willie, just what would two be what would be two non-daily non-negotiables for you? What do you mean? Daily? Yeah, like what would you do on a daily basis that like you do every day without even probably realizing, you know, would mm. you've yeah, I always well, I, I got some crazy answers here, but well, Jesus, my, my, I don't know. Coffee uh, first thing in the morning is um, absolutely vital. There's no doubt about that. Um, what else is non-negotiable during the day? Um, Jesus, I don't know, Jimmy. Give me an example of what's... what's <laughs> one, one, one former Olympian said he, he actually said he's like, he puts on his left sock for his right sock and left shoe for his right shoe. He's done it for years just subconsciously. Then others might be just text their parents or, or, you know, drink a certain amount of water, stuff like that. So it does vary. Yeah. Jesus, I don't know. Well, coffee straight away in the morning or else I'm like a bear with a sore head. I'm <laughs> probably not great in the morning as it is. But if I don't have uh, I don't have a good strong cup of coffee, then I would probably be even worse. So um, it's not a good uh, it's not a good atmosphere in the house if I haven't had the coffee in the morning and I need to be left alone as well um when the coffee's being drank I'm not allowed uh, children can't be annoying me at that time they need that 10 minutes um on my own so maybe that's that's my only one <laughs> leave it as absorbed into your body um just quick quick one though I'll leave you go after this um you you've you always highlighted you've interest in the Kerry championship the way it's obviously laid out with the divisionals and the club scene 
Um, what's your your have you been following it at the moment? I know you know Stacks won it and they're they're going through it monster. Um, have you any input or what what's your feeling around Stacks? Do you think they can go all the way? Uh, I I don't know. I don't like watching Stacks. Um, I think it's it's not carry football. It it's obviously done really well. They've won the double this year and they're three in a row club champion club championships they're terrible to watch though they play a very defensive style which you know is unusual for a Kerry team um if I'm being honest to play that lots of men back behind the ball and the kind of so I don't support teams that play like that I love Austin Stacks as a club they're a brilliant brilliant um club like the history they have the ex-players they have but like I mean if it's not my job to watch Austin Stacks I'm not I'm not volunt- voluntarily going on. I've watched a couple of their games this year. They're, they're terrible. They're terrible spectacles altogether. Not big into that football. And I think football has moved away from that football. So it's surprising for a Kerry team to go back. And look, but you look, they're having success. So I suppose, you know, while they're having success, I'm sure their supporters will be right behind them. But the minute they stop having success playing like that, um, you know, I think a little bit of pressure might start coming on them to maybe move the ball a little bit faster using the foot and leaving a few more forwards down there and maybe play more of a traditional carry, um, carry style, I suppose. Let's, let's just hope Jack O'Connor isn't watching them and thinking maybe geez, this is the way forward. Don't have us all turning, turning, turning against Kerry. Yeah, definitely a few of those guys in, in a, um, a lot of those, there's a few good lads inside with stacks who are going with Kerry. So, Hopefully it'll be a good year for Kerry. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, look, I I just well, I we'll end it there, Willie, because I know you're, we're we're caught for time. But I appreciate you taking time out to come down inside of your podcast and look best luck with your new show going forward. Thanks very much, Jamie. And best of luck with the inside view. Um, it's not easy doing these podcasts, is it? So, like, I mean, we're all in it together. So we'll uh, we'll help each other out. If you ever need anything, give me a shout. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Willie. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in any way possible. Uh, you find us on social media over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. That is a digit two. You'll also find us on LinkedIn on the ball team building, and we're also on TikTok on the ball team building. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred unit fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.